name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. It's very natural. It's weak. <laughs> is that we're, from Drive Angry? About, that's, uh, that's, that's PJ Harvey. What's the matter with you guys? Oh. <laughs> I think it's very appropriate for this movie that we're going to talk about. It's The movie is uh, The Adjustment Bureau. Uh, directed, by, well, we'll get into the specifics. Dingus will um, handle that. Right. Uh, Dingus will tell you what it is. Christian Milsap, Mils, Milsapsy, I think? Milsapi. Don't worry about it. Just call me the hammer. Uh, and we also have uh, Kelly Wand, who has a, uh Adjustment Bureau tagline, I hope. Uh, if a chick dunked my cell phone in coffee, I'd just licked off her thigh. I'd be convinced she was my soulmate, too. That's beautiful, Kelly Wand. That's very tight. See? Yeah. I'm a sentimentalist. Uh, I'm going to see that again. What, what's up with this movie, Dingus? What is Adjustment Bureau? Yeah. Right, this week we saw the Adjustment Bureau, as, as you just said, uh, a 2011 romantic fantasy thriller movie. Wow, Ugh. that's really what they call it. That's what I call it. What do you call what it? What were the thriller parts? Uh... A romantic fantasy thriller movie. So you have to, it's, it's weighted equally between those three things. Uh, it's based on the uh, Philip K. Dick short story Adjustment Team. Ah, uh, see what they did there? Yeah, see? They updated it. And expanded it, I would say. Yeah, it expanded the words. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger word. And they put a, an article on there, which I think is an important addendum. It sounds Frencher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is directed by George Nolfi and stars Matt Damon, Emily Blunt and uh, Anthony Mackie, and deals with a guy running for the U.S. Senate who. Um, the film is rated PG-13 for what? brief. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Why did you what? What? That's what his notes stop? said. He wrote that, that's and that's what the for, script said too, and the movie. Uh, oh. It is rated PG-13 for brief, strong language, some sexuality, and a violent image. What? Which one? That's what I'm wondering. I don't know, but it's awesome if you ever get a chance to look at the parent guide for these things. Because here's what one of the things the parent guide says. It rates it a 5 out of a possible 10 on the violence meter. And one of the things the parent's guide says is, a man shouts angrily at several men. A man, a man shouts at a man. A man shouts at a man and a woman. So that's part of the violence. I remember in... Uh, that's very those- violent. In one of those guides, Dingus, there was a Winnie the Pooh movie, and in the parental guidance things where they want to specifically warn parents what their children will be exposed to, for the Winnie the Pooh movie, the guide warned that the movie featured, quote, striking out in a blizzard. What? Yeah. That happens in a Winnie the Pooh movie. Why'd they play baseball, first off? In the oh. of That's really weird. <laughs> I thought it was going to be some sticky stuff... Uh, trickles from Winnie's Winnie the Pooh's hand, and <laughs> that's, that's that gave the uh, parent guide right <laughs> owner. I'm no uh, parent. I, so, I assume so, that's how it works. Thing is, why did you trail off? Did you did you stop writing after? Do you, do you not want to say anything else about what happens to this guy running for Senate? No, I don't. Okay, I don't. Want, I don't you know, I think that. Uh, as little as possible in this part of our, our thing, let's let people know what Adjustment Bureau we're talking about so they don't get it confused with the other Adjustment Bureau. Now, and, um, uh, you also don't I did, slander I'm, the I, Adjustment Again, I want to know as little as possible and, when I'm going to a movie, so, so I think this that's enough. This is a movie for you, then. A guy goes to the, he's running for the Senate and... 
Okay, fair enough. Good. I, and I like that because that's that that's actually all that I knew going in. I'll I'll just say, Dingus, you and I don't watch trailers. I accidentally well, I, I'm watching trailers and, and as the trailer comes on, I'll wait until I know that it's something that I don't want to watch anymore. So I'm watching a trailer and it's Matt Damon and I'm like, Okay, I'll still watch it. It could be a terrible movie. <laughs> as uh you know, as the that's his reaction on, Matt uh, and as the trailer's going on, he says, uh, yeah, I'm running for Senate and, and Emily Blunt comes up and it looks like there's going to be something like dramatic or dangerous happening. So I closed my ears at that point. So Dingus, what you just said is pretty much exactly what I knew about the movie. Uh, so fair but enough. My, I, I appreciate that. But explained in much greater detail and length. What was explained in much greater detail or length? What Dingus said he knew about the movie and then what you knew about the movie. Here's what, you check I, out. what I didn't know about the movie, which is kind of a spoiler, we'll get into this in a minute, is it, it was based on a Philip K. Dick short story or novel or whatever. I did not realize that was the source material until it popped up in the credits at the end of the movie. And I'm kind mm-hmm. of glad I didn't know that. So, uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you, let's, let's quit pussyfooting around here. Why don't you just lay all the spoiler cards on the table and give us a breakdown of what exactly happens in the movie. So if you haven't seen it and you're going to see it or you don't want to know what's going to happen, stop listening because Kelly Wan, I want you to now spoil it for people. Oh, you mean with an adjust mopsis bureopsis? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm surprised you didn't know it's a Philip K. Dick movie because Philip K. Mm-hmm. Dick is America's preeminent romance novelist of the 20th century. <laughs> so I thought the plot... I mean, that's not hyperbole. All right, you ready for this shenanigans? <laughs> that wasn't even the shenanigans. That's a that was, that was a waste of time. As that was, was the pre nanigans. I think it was the overture. <laughs> All right, hold on to your dicks. Um, so uh, this Jason Bourne dude named Matt Damon is running for the presidency of New York because the only bomb he knows how to make out of household items is Green Zone. And he's running against a tool named Senator Linfield, and he's winning because he's his tool rating is only 38%, and Senator Littleton's is 41%, and Tom's is 75%. <laughs> That's a little in-joke for uh, no one. Uh, until the New York Post publishes a 3D JPEG of Emilio Estevez gluing Matt Damon's butt cheeks together, so he loses the election of Emilio Estevez, who's the Libertarian nominee. So to celebrate, Matt Damon goes into a men's room, and he finally, for the first time, rehearses a concession speech that his balding handler wrote about how when you get your butt cheeks glued together, it's more about how you get them unglued that affects all major legislation. But then he hears what sounds like a British lady taking a dump, and he's all, what the... British people poop? And she comes out and says she was crashing some wedding upstairs because she's marrying some other dude in the morning and the security guards are after her for pooping on one of them and killing him with a poop. Like Goldfinger <laughs> killed that one girl, but with poo uh, instead of gold paint. And she didn't know there was a big political event going on in the same convention center, even though everybody in the lobby's chanting, Damon, Damon. And she uh, squeaked through Matt Damon's security team and, spoiler alert, the entire adjustment bureau to infiltrate the men's room uh, to get ready for a wedding. And he says he just lost the election. And she goes, I know what will make you feel better. And she poops on his tie. So they start making out on the urinal. But then his handlers come in and go, not again. So she runs down the stairs and the security guards shoot at her. 
and he goes out and starts to give his speech to the cameras and his uh, supporters. But then he says, you know what? My shoes and my tie aren't real. I've lied about everything to you all for months. And everyone's all, yeah, USA. So the next day, some guys in hats tell a black guy in another hat that he needs to make sure Matt Damon spills his coffee and doesn't sleep with any British shitting ladies or some investment meeting won't be as boring. And he's all, stop riding my ass just because I'm black. And they're all, it's just you look a little tired. He's all racist. So they leave and he falls asleep on a park bench under a newspaper. And Matt Damon gets on the bus and the only seat available on the whole bus is next to the hot poop lady from their romantic evening on the toilet together, which makes sense because he'd want to sit next to a hot girl in a miniskirt on a bus. It's, you just sit next to all the uh, extras. So he does and he admits that he just masturbated to her legs while she was sleeping just now and she's enchanted and poops in his coffee. And then the black dude does like this non-faked physical hand gesture like Obi-Wan Kenobi and it makes Matt... <laughs> phone on her thigh and then a taxi hits the black guy which doesn't mess up god's plan and british lady poops on matt damon's phone and he goes i love you so she gives him her number five 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 u five h and he goes to his office but everybody's frozen but he doesn't notice because they always look like that and dudes and visors are using medical type scanners and stethoscopes and dental mirrors on the bald guy to change his brain lobes instead of using their hands because Angel's hands are less powerful than God's medical tools and Frank Langell is there and his team go uh, that's a callback but anyway <laughs> so Frank Langell and his team go Matt Damon's here what the so he tries to run but they overwhelm him by walking real slowly and they use chloroform which is what angels use in extreme emergencies instead of hand gestures and they take him to a magical parking garage where they hold their meetings because there's no chairs there and the acoustics suck and they tell him they're not strictly angels but more like random expository plot devices and to prove it they tell him he's thinking of the color blue and he goes uh, well yeah now that you just said it and they go see we're omnipotent and he tries to run but they use a non-faked hand gesture to raise a floor tile so he only breaks his kneecap in accordance with prophecy and they go look you can't see the sexy poo girl ever again because being happily married does not an awesome president make. Also, don't say any of this happened or we'll lobotomize you because we think you'll make a great president knowing you have no free will and we trust you not to say anything crazy about men in hats when you're on camera constantly for the next 10 years before you die from a freak asteroid accident. Good luck. And they up the girl's phone number and then they throw him through the door into the bald friend's office so he can give an awkward explanation for why he's lying on the floor in accordance with prophecy. So he goes... Oh, well, yeah, it all adds up. And then the black dude meets him in a bar called Pulled Pork Sandwiches and takes him on a ferry ride and tells him guys in hats decide everything except what toothpaste people buy. Because if they didn't, there'd be another Cuban Missile Crisis, which is what happened the last time they laid themselves off for 60 years. And uh, Matt Damon goes, wait, what? The world sucks horribly more and more every year lately. And the black guy goes, oh, also, we can't track people on water. So when it's raining, we get fucking retarded, which is why nothing of historical significance has ever happened in rainy weather. Is this thing still on? <laughs> and Matt Damon goes, but the world's 70% water and the human body's 90% water. Is one of us high? And the black dude goes, now you're getting it. Oh, yeah. Also, don't look for the British girl that you were almost done thinking about until I showed up and reminded you about it. 
And then he leaves, and Matt Damon goes, cool, my first black friend. So then he goes to a diner, and the only table available is with the British chick, and he's all, worst fucking adjustment bureau ever, Jesus. So they hang out while the hat guys watch an annoyance and go, okay, if they kiss, we're screwed. But instead of doing a hand gesture between their lips or lobotomizing them, they get the bald guy to show up instantly to cock block Matt Damon by telling me he suddenly has to give a speech somewhere. It's super imperative, even though the election's over now. And he goes, okay, one sec. And he opens his mouth and sticks out his tongue to kiss the British chick. And the bald guy's all, future President Damon, the speech. So instead, he just Eskimo kisses her, vagina, and leaves. So after the speech, he sees her dance studios a couple feet away because she's a member of Moomin Shants. So he tries to get there, but the hat angels trick him by cutting phone lines and causing car accidents and posing as cops, all in accordance with prophecy, instead of just lobotomizing him. But he tricks them back. Asking a bunch of dudes in a sports bar where the ballet company is, and one guy knows, which wasn't in accordance with prophecy. <clears throat> so he goes to the dance studio, and they only catch him after he sees her dancing, so it doesn't count, because God has no power over time and space. There's no precedent for that. So they go on a date, and he tells her how when he was a kid, he and his father went to the Lincoln Memorial, and he had to fart. So he went over by the statue's foot, and he came back to his dad and whispered, I just farted over there. And looked up and saw that the man he was talking to isn't his dad. And she bets him that if she runs faster to a street lamp than him, he has to sleep with her. But if he wins, she has to sleep with him. And she tricks him by feigning injury and then stabbing him in the pancreas. So they have sex while Frank Langella watches with one hand in his pocket. And the next day, her ex-BF calls uh, that she was engaged to, but dumped because of the night in the toilet with Matt Damon, because the adjustment bureaus used their hand gestures to make this guy Adrian call her four times in one morning. And she realizes if there's one thing she's missed besides Adrian's poo, it's his smothering obsessiveness. And Frank Langella sprains her leg during a rendition of Black Swan and tells Matt Damon really loudly in the hospital waiting room that if he doesn't stop falling in love they'll make her teach dancing to six-year-olds and also that she'll only become a world-famous dancer if she's stuck in a loveless marriage to the adrian guy and matt damon's all uh we're not exactly alone in here maybe you can freeze <laughs> these people like you did before and frank langella's all we tried to reason with you and matt damon's all well not really and then frank langella tricks matt damon by getting punched in the face by him and grunting in surprised pain, like angels do when you punch them in the face. So Matt Damon dumps Pooh Girl so she can become a famous Moomenschancer. And 11 months later, the black guy who hasn't been fired by God yet meets Matt Damon and agrees to help him fuck up the universe's plan because she's getting married tomorrow at the courthouse right after the sentencing of some burglars, like most world-famous dancers. And Matt Damon goes, hey, teach me how to do that door thing. That can't be too complicated to teach uh, one ill-rested, love-struck U.S. politician in one night, and the black guy goes, uh, you just got to turn knobs to the left. So Matt Damon opens doors till he's in a courthouse bathroom, which is where he had a hunch he'd find her, and wearing the black guy's hat convinces her to defy God by opening doors together with him till they get caught and lobotomized. And she doesn't believe him till he opens a door into a football field where the Adjustment Bureau scrimmages, and then the Statue of Liberty where nobody else is that day for some reason. And then he goes, okay, look, these angels and hats are chasing me, and a black one taught me how to open the doors they use. And she goes, what did they use before doors? And he goes, do you trust me? If I go through that door without you, you'll never see me again and be stuck at the Statue of Liberty on your wedding day, and angels will probably lobotomize you. Or you can come with me, and we can be lobotomized together after you run up 60 flights of stairs in those heels. So they run around and get caught on a rooftop by the angels with gas masks and dental mirrors. But they kiss passionately, which tricks God 
into giving the black guy manila envelopes saying everything's okay now because it's been decided based on the movie's running time to deus ex their machinas because they hadn't kissed during intercourse that one time earlier and he goes wait you're the chairman and that guy goes no i can't be because god's racist plus i fall asleep constantly because i'm black but it is someone you've met and he goes oh john stewart and she goes no silly i'm the chairman you've been in love with god all along and he's all, hmm, that explains those weird noises you made when we had sex. Then Adrian and Senator Littlefield go, hey, what about our plans and love lives? And the hat guys go, oh, yeah, and they lobotomize them. The end. Wow, Kelly Wand. <clears throat> Where's Dingus? Uh, a lot of meticulous detail in there. Where? Uh, in in your, your plot synopsis. That, that, uh, that about covered it. Uh, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. You can take the rest of the podcast off. Good, good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I get the sense, Kelly One, that you weren't crazy about this movie. Uh, uh, I saw the trailer and I watched the movie and I go, they're going to be painted into a corner, so they're going to have to cheese out. And I was right. And now, what, is, was what a- do they show in the trailer? What is the tra- does the trailer give away the stuff about angels? No, but it show, it gives away the floor tile, and he's like, okay, we've got to run, and they're all, oh, he's running, he's changing reality, and it shows the plan, so you go, oh, he's defying the laws of... It shows the plan, so it, you do know watching the movie that there's like something supernatural, I mean, watching the trailer, that there's right. something supernatural. Yeah, and it shows him watching them in bed together, and um, they tell you we're the ones who make things happen and adjust the bureaus and all that. What? what? Oh, Good lord. They ha- yeah, so it's like, you know what the movie is, and it's like the only thing in the trailer that it's not given away is like, oh, how will he get out of it, or does he? So I thought when I saw the trailer, I go, he's not, it's going to be something really stupid, and he's just, they're just going to change their minds, or he's going to become one of them, and it's going to be some near miss, and then that. So you would give this movie a 75. <laughs> <laughs> a low 75. <laughs> but you know what would have made it good? You know what would have made it an, a 95? Is if... Because the, the adjustment hero needs him, so he's not heroic to me, defying their authority, because he's a big part of, of their plan for the future, because he's going to be president or something. Mm-hmm. So if it had been some random dude they didn't give a shit about, it would have been more tension-filled, I think. More of an average Joe, who has no hope against... Because he's a politician, so he knows how to negotiate with guys in hats already. Ah, right, right. Yeah. All right, uh, Dingus, uh, did it work for you? Did you love? Did you love this? First of all, Dingus, did you take your wife? No, I wish I had. She was out of town, so I couldn't take her. I, I know. Like a, I know. This could be like a date movie. This could be like oh, a yeah, yeah. comedy. It's a Philip K. Dick movie for women. Well, what what's one of the real pleasures of this is is what happened to me, uh, similar to what happened to me when I watched Night and Days that I, I didn't know I was going to be seeing a uh, a chick flick, and. Um, it's much more that than anything else, and uh, and yeah. I really liked that about it. What really? Yeah, totally. Because yeah. right. Dingus is a woman. Hear me he's roar. Our, he's our resident woman. He's the feminine energy. He's our Amber Tamblyn, <laughs> <laughs> who uh, takes her top off. It, yeah. In fact, I took it off right now. Mm. Mm. Dingus. Bottom. Okay. Pretty sure. Oh, by the way, I wanted to say, Dingus, you are dark on the rock. I just, I just wrote that down to make sure to say that to you tonight. So I'm going to cross <laughs> that one off right there. Right, thank you. Uh, all right, so... Uh, uh, okay, hi. that was it for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I don't want to talk about this stupid movie. God, I hate it. I just... Oh, jeez. Yeah. Please. 
I mean, Kelly Wan, I can't believe that – Kelly Wan, you were more complimentary of this movie than you were of uh, Drive Angry. How was – where was my compliment? What have I said that's complimentary? I'm saying here's what would have made it good. Oh, you're saying the 75 was complimentary. You're going by the math? Well, yeah. You even like uh, – did either of you not, not loathe this stupid movie? No, I really liked it. How, oh, how good you, lord. Why do you loathe it? Okay. What, what, what's loathworthy? Give give us some loathworthiness. Uh, pretty much everything. Uh, everything. It, wow. it is it is it, it is uh, facile. I'll throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, it, as far as how yeah. it views politics, uh, love, religion, uh, this this idea of a divine Family. plan. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, I, I think it's clumsy. Uh, I think the magical Negro stuff is getting borderline tasteless these days. Yeah. Uh, I I did not care. There was a little bit of chemistry between uh, Emily Blunt and Matt Damon, but I did not care enough about them to root for them in spite of all the. As a matter of fact, its very premise I think is so ill-advised. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, I I just hated this thing all around. There was a brief moment because I didn't know anything about it, where he goes into his office and I'm thinking they're going to do some kind of weird Truman show or where there's some different layer going on where everybody's fake. I was like, oh, this could be cool. And then when it turned out to just be, you know, men with hats are angels. I, I, and they're idiots. Their plans suck and they're stupid. They fuck up constantly. They're I, undone by one random dumbass guy. I mean, who's you, you say they're fast. idiots, but I, I think that's the, the, the sort of the angle the movie is taking here. No, it, it's giving it's lip service. I think the angle the movie's taking here is that they're limited. In, in power in terms of what they can do. Like, I, I didn't think that there was necessarily any internal inconsistency there. Like, I thought it was explained away how they can be foiled, how they can be fallible. Um, you know, they, they're, not, they're not omnipotent. Uh, you're the one being complimentary. Because no, the it's rule- not complimentary. Yeah. I, I, think, I, don't think the, I don't think the movie's problem was that it didn't make sense or that the, the angels were... I, I mean, you say they're idiots. I just think they're limited. Uh, think this <laughs> way. So, like it. well, that's what idiots are. They're limited. Okay. <laughs> um, they have to take care of everybody in the world, Kelly. And there's water. Hello. But they only have. But they have one guy who's like more instrumental to their future plans than 99 percent of humanity, and the guy falls asleep. That's being retarded. And putting no, the guys. Well, uh, they did also again just to. They did point out early on, and I hate when movies do this. Uh, they say to uh, the magical Negro, "You look exhausted." Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't blame me. Which, right. by the way, I love in a movie when you say that to someone who doesn't look exhausted. <laughs> he looks fine. Hey. But yeah. I was thinking maybe that's how angels look when they're exhausted. But they did set up that he was sleep deprived and therefore might fall asleep. Um, but yeah, that is remember, kind of idiotic. Now that you mention it, Kelly Wand. Remember how contact is like an awesome like idea for a movie, and then at the end the dad shows up and you go, oh fuck, really? <laughs> that's what the aliens wanted to tell us. God, that wasn't worth going for all that. that. We spent how many billions of dollars on that two spaceships? And it's like this movie's like that d- disappointed feeling. Like this movie's too stupid to deal with like mystical, complicated anything. That it's like that for the whole way through. Like you know, there's never going to be a payoff. Oh, he's on a football field. There's your money shot. First of all, yeah. it's a baseball diamond. It is? Yes. I thought it was, no. I, I know my sports. I'm pretty sure that was a, a football diamond. All right. It, <laughs> might have been a, it might have been a lacrosse pitch. 
<laughs> Rapist. So right. Dingus, defend this silly thing, or else Kelly Wan yeah. and I are just going to say mean things about it all night. I'm you really annoyed. Thought I liked it. I'm really. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I really have to take issue because this didn't even occur to me, and I and I, it's a little disturbing to me to hear you keep saying it. The the uh, magical black negro thing did not occur to me at all, and I don't think that's what's going on here. I think he's oh. just a character, <laughs> and they cast what? Anthony Mackie, and he happens to be black. It's not like. Like uh, Jaiman Hansu in that In America movie, or or the guy in the Green Mile. I, I don't see what you're saying at all. I think that's really magical weird. Negro is a trope, Dingus. Where yeah. the black I know I know what has, it is. I hey, just don't on. think Let that's what's going on. It's the good guy. Where the black man is the good guy who has like special magical sensitivity mm-hmm. to the protagonist. You know, yeah, Anthony Mackie's Anthony Mackie's character here was different than the other ones because he was like the special overseer for Matt Damon's family, and he transcended. This whole idea that the other angels had that it doesn't matter how you feel, it's what's in black and white. He instead, he was the magical angel, the special one, uh, who was particularly sensitive. Um, I mean, it doesn't – I I can understand why it might not bother some people. And Anthony Mackie, I I love that guy. That guy's fantastic. But just watching it, I'm like, yeah, of course, okay. It's, it's, I think it fits into that trope. And if it doesn't bother you, that's fine. But I think it's clearly part of the magical Negro trope. Okay. And it's on the level of the whole movie. Like, it's that level of retardation. And this is, remember the one scene, or the one line where um, Matt Damon goes to him, why are you different? How come you're, right. you're like, being nice? And the guy's response is literally, you know, your father was awesome. Like that's his, and it talks about this guy's family doesn't even answer the question. Like, oh, okay, don't give us any answers on anything. It's just I, make I shit up. What they were stuff. going for was just that he, yeah. I mean, I'm only becoming. I think what they were going for was that he had been watching uh, Matt Damon's family. Like he was in charge of this bloodline or, or whatever. Um, but you know, why weren't the other angels that way towards their charges? Uh, you know, what made right. them special besides the fact that. I don't want to hit that too hard. I mean, it fits into that trope. It is what it is. If that doesn't bother people, that's fine. That's cool. Um, but I just think it's sloppy writing, and that's I. It's I always hate it, <laughs> and it's always well, Dingus, there. Get in here. Get in here, Dingus. Or otherwise, like I said, Kelly Wan is going to be mean to this movie all night. Get in here and give this movie some love. What made it work for you? Um, I really like. A lot of the things that I think you guys didn't like, and I think there are pluses for the movie. Um, I like that the movie doesn't explain and get into a lot of gobbledygook, uh, you know, too early about what are the nuts and bolts of this idea that's going on. It's it's just sort of dashed off. Uh, yeah, we just adjust people a little bit, and and it just moves on. It's not for me. It was. I'm surprised that you don't like it more because of your objections to Inception, for instance, that it was so exposition heavy and so clunky about that. And this seems to avoid all of that and just be about a couple of characters who love each other. And for me, it just won me over because I just loved the chemistry Matt Damon had with – with uh, Michael Kelly, the guy who plays Charlie, who I really love seeing and stuff. I do too. Um, I was real glad to see him pop up. I was really glad to see him because I just saw him in a movie that you suggested I see, Tom, called Defendor, and he's really good in that movie. He does a little role, like that sort of supportive brotherly character. Who, uh, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Um, and uh, and I also really loved the uh, the chemistry, the immediate chemistry he seemed to have with Emily Blunt. I was just won over by that, and this 
the the movie seemed to be about that rather than about explaining its science fiction premise. Uh, I know Kelly Wan sort of made fun of that at the beginning by saying that uh, you know Philip K. Dick is the preeminent writer of romantic fiction or whatever he said. Uh, but I I really like that. I I was I wasn't expecting it to just be basically. Uh, a love story uh, that that had this other stuff going on around it, and their obstacle is that they have to go. I mean, there's a lot of ridiculous stuff going on, but I I didn't mind any of that. And 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 the film to me does not take itself uh, overly seriously. I mean, the the guy who plays Richardson, the um, the Mad Men guy, and I'm blanking on his name. Um, rats. Uh, Richard uh, John Slattery. John Slattery. I'm sorry. Uh, he was in, yeah, he was in Station Agent as well. Um, I really like how he had this sort of uh, wry sense of humor about himself without sort of winking about it. He was clearly an, uh, a guy who was uh, ambitious, um, but uh, was sort of had a sense of humor about himself. You know, when he when Matt Damon sees him in that window, he's like, I just can't catch a break in this case. Um, and I, I like that the movie doesn't take itself too seriously. It, it felt like. Uh, a movie that really ran. I mean, literally a lot of the time. You know what other trope I hate in this movie, and it's in like every movie and every romance movie, is like, I'm just curious, in real life, do chicks always marry douchebags because the hero broke up with no. them? What happens and then, is in a yeah. comedy, you cannot have a shred of sympathy towards the guy who's going to get left behind at the altar. Yeah, fuck him. So, right, the Baxter. And so this guy, the douchebag, can't even be bothered to shave for his wedding morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's, 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 and that's part of why I thought, uh, and again, I feel bad that I hate this movie as so much as I do, Dingus, because I'm glad that you, you enjoyed it. But it just had all of these stupid tropes like that, and it's like it, it was such bog-standard romantic comedy stuff, and that there was no tension about her... With, with this other relationship and her other life and that you know the movie railroads these guys and the audience into being together and belonging together with no obstacle no tension uh there's just no there's nothing there it's everything is laid out and contrived to make the audience want them to be together uh, and it just felt so blatant to me and, and uh so Yeah, agree with that Skype thing. Although I'm getting a message from someone. It's saying Tom's audio is, and now I can't read the rest because I don't know how to work. Now it sounds okay. Oh, now you're fine. Your audio has been really freaking out. Yeah, it was garbled. I wanted to make sure it wasn't me. But now it's fine. Say something. Hello. Now you're fine, which probably means we're not recording anymore. That's my prediction. Let's see what happens. No, this is all all being laid down. Oh, like, what, what did you just change that made your... Yeah, I'm sorry. I just anyway. moved the mic, so there you go. Ah, the All right. mic movement. Uh, anyway, so the, these romantic comedy tropes were part of what, what drove me crazy and why it didn't work for me, including, yeah, of course, when the guy shows up at the end, he's someone the audience couldn't possibly care about. Right. First time we see he him. didn't even shave. Yeah, the first time we see him, too. All we know is he calls four times in one morning, and <laughs> she's engaged to him twice, which, by the way, when a chick's, like, that just makes the chick seem, like, less worthy of of winning like oh she would marry him well, i don't need her i'll just find well, someone else then if she's like that dumb the bigger problem is that if if it's that important not to marry him the first time because of their bathroom encounter why doesn't she call matt damon i mean she can if, yeah she knows how to get in touch with him i mean it's understandable that he can't find one elise in new york city but if if it was important enough for her after all these years not to marry the guy you think 
I'm going to give him one more shot. I'm going to call him and just see if there's anything there. And then that doesn't happen. So that that's pretty stupid. Plus, love keeps putting them together until he just goes, all right, forget it. Like the like love screwing up the plan, which is another thing that annoyed me. <laughs> well, part of part of the reason too, Dingus, that this happens is again that's the, the because this is kind of like a chick flick. I think it's sort of told from her perspective. The the fantasy that I think this is tapping into is, hey ladies, if that guy didn't call you, it's because God. Yeah, because some angels. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> He's still interested. He is that into you and. He'll run into you in, your, in the bathroom on the day of your wedding, and you'll take him back because that's how you are. That's how women roll. I mean, Dingus, let me throw something at you, and this is, this is always going to be a little bit below the belt because I know that you're going to agree 110% here, um, even though it probably won't detract from your enjoyment from this movie. But as I'm watching this movie, the whole time I'm thinking, they want to show us a, uh, a, a movie – using this science fiction tweak to to build a world in which the two protagonists can't be together. Right. Um, together and, constantly. And Well, but Dingus, can you think of another movie recently that did that, that you love? A movie that I love? That has this idea. Avatar. We're going to have a world with a science fiction tweak. It's not going to be too extreme. It's just a little tweak, something behind the scenes that's going on. And we're going to use this tweak to build a world in which these two protagonists love each other and they cannot be together. Ice pirates. Are you talking about Never Let Me Go? Of course, of course. Uh, Now, the difference, of course, being Never Let Me Go is a real romance. This is more like a rom-com, like a romantic comedy. Um, But I I kept thinking of Never Let Me Go. Minus the comedy. There was no comedy in this movie. Well, that's kind of the, you know what? It's maybe it's not a romantic comedy. It does kind of try to it's romantic like a thriller. Yeah. You know what? You know what? I'm going to take that back about it being a romantic comedy and just straight up say, no compared to Never Let Me Go, this thing just falls apart. I, I think. Uh, oh, I, you liked the movie less. <laughs> so, Diggs, does that like you? It's it is an apples and oranges thing. Like Never Let Me Go is very stately and slow and. Uh, more, more methodical and uh, it's Sounds more awesome. British and gray, I think. Mm. Um, well, Never Let Me Go is a far more beautiful film and filled with much more longing. Um, Don't you? And think also more, and also a, tra- a film that that is reaching for tragedy more than this film is. And I think this film has a lot of humor in it. Um, and I, you know, I'm just I, for for me, yeah. I mean, just watching the way Matt Damon deals with the situations and and how winning he is with her in in these little ways and there are these little moments that I just love like when he's running out of the office where everybody's frozen and he's like 911 dial 911 and and the receptionist is obviously frozen and he just goes oh <laughs> cuz he gets oh and there are a lot of little moments and he's just really really good uh, I mean I just I like the guy and I think he really carries that stuff off well and that scene in the restroom between the two of them I was won over by that uh, and I thought that I thought that you would complain about their uh, Cobra Strike kiss moment because I know you, you hate <laughs> I that. Notice that, yeah. Um, <laughs> but little, just l- the little touches of, of the way they talk to each other and the—they're uh, just so—they have just such, such an easy rapport. And was it serious? Well, I was engaged, and then he says, "So not not serious then." I—I uh, I think there was a lot of moments where you could laugh. Yeah, you guys I mean, didn't, but you know, yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, but you, you are right about the chemistry between them. I mean, I, I, 
I like they're they're both very very good, uh, and they both did seem to have some chemistry. So I'll, I'll definitely give yeah. that. Um, but here's the thing though, even though they have chemistry, even though they're good together, the central premise of the movie, I, I think, <laughs> falls apart. You know, them being together, uh, it it it's all about this trite love conquers all story. Uh, and and here's where it really lost me is when when the stakes are presented to Matt Damon. You know, when uh, I think it's when Terrence Stamp finally explains to him, you know, here's the deal. Here's, you know, we've been running things. And when we stop running things, you know, when when things don't go according to us adjusting them, the Dark Ages happens. Right. Uh, or the Holocaust <laughs> it happens. A thousand years. Right. Or the Holocaust happens. Uh-huh. So therefore, after thousands of years of doing this, we are trying to prevent those things. And Matt Damon's response is basically, Dark Ages, Holocaust, no, I, I met this chick that I, you know, I met her twice, I really dig her, screw that stuff, I'm going to defy whatever you guys are doing. And he even says at one point, uh, you know, we belong together, come what may, or something like, I choose her, come what may. Even when he has been told the Dark Ages of the Holocaust are the things we're trying to prevent, he is still like, screw it, I want to be with her. You, you know, that is... If you're going to have a trite love conquers all story, I'm okay with that. But don't bring up that the result might be the Holocaust or the Dark Ages. Because once you raise the stakes to that level, this little trite love conquers all message doesn't carry near as much weight. Uh, Except so, that he doesn't believe that. And I mean, the, the, the key is, and I started to get really frustrated with that Terrence Stamp stuff. I mean, especially when he shows up, okay, you do what you want, and then he shows up at the dance studio and at the hospital to get punched. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, do you just think we're too stupid to understand? Is that why you're doing this impulse control speech in the hospital? Mm-hmm. But then um, Harry, uh, Hat Harry, comes in later and says he was lying to you about that. And and Matt Damon's like, I understand that that's what you're saying my fate is, but I don't believe that that's my fate. And I don't believe what you're saying about the plan. And you guys don't even know why. I mean, I think it's really a revelation, and I think the special person in this is is David, is, is Matt Damon, who's saying, you don't know why these things are. None of you know who wrote this. None of you know what this plan is. And I think, for me, the movie's failing is that he quits before the end. I mean, his his real question is, who wrote this stuff, and why should we believe this idiot? Why should we believe this chairman or whoever the hell that is? And he's pushing them to that, and then when he finally gets what he wants, he's like, ah – Okay, let him write the plan. That's fine. Yeah, I hate but, that. But the interesting thing for me is 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 that he, you know, that all that stuff about the Holocaust is just for him. Um, Terrence Stamp, God winning the thread. He's just saying you're throwing this stuff in. I don't believe that that's my fate. I don't believe that has to be the, the case. And and I'm gonna go for what I think is right. And, and, and that's think, what I like. And I think that's this, that's a supreme. That's really bad writing. If you have just had your character go through all of these exceptional experiences with these um, uh, these all-knowing, uh, powerful, supernatural beings. You know, if somebody comes, mm-hmm. you know, these guys hold a lot of cards. They have just showed miracle after miracle to Matt Damon. And he still doesn't believe when one of them comes up and says, I'm doing this to prevent the Holocaust. I, I just, at that point, I was like, you, you're an idiot, David Norris. You know, I don't want <laughs> no, do you president... I don't want you to get together with this chick anymore. I'm not rooting for you guys. Yeah. The director was the writer too, by the way. So uh, wrote uh, the 
the Born Supremacy movie, the Born uh, Ultim- the Ultimatum movie, one, yeah. It all fell apart, I think, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this guy loves his thrillers, and I think he's a... That's the, that's the sense I get from the George Nolfe, he's a writer-director, and, you know, he wanted to do a romantic comedy, or a lighter romantic angle on a thriller, and uh, it just uh, so didn't work for me. Aw. So? So did you like Terrence Stamp, though, Dingus? Weren't you at least glad to see him show up? I was really glad to see him show up, but... Um... When he kept showing up, I started to lose my my patience a little bit. Well, you know, I, I think when he when he gives Matt Damon the choice, when he says, "Okay, we're going to let you have your choice," uh, and then he shows up and said says, "You know, we warned you." He, Matt Damon should say, "You already, we already went over this. You know, you already gave me my choice. Now I'm at the studio. Get the get the fuck out of here. I already made my choice." Um, but I mean, there's a reason why he's known as the Hammer, and he he, he seemed a little fragile to me actually yeah yeah <laughs> you might want to move your mic again tom by the way and i think that's a factor of, uh, i'm just assuming that's karen stamp's age because I, I remember karen stamp in the limey really kicking some ass yeah uh, and he did seem a lot more frail here yeah. and in phantom menace he totally got thrown he was in that oh but i'm thinking of frank langella yeah right Stamp would lower himself to a star wars movie I don't move your mic now, I'm, now, there were a couple oh, things... I, That's good. <laughs> okay. stick, now keep that there and don't move it. Okay. Now, there are a couple things I really liked. Um, well, I've already talked about stuff I really liked. I'm going to talk about a couple more. Uh, I really liked, because I, I got the sense early on that what was, what was happening with this Adjustment Bureau was that they were going to change the results of the election somehow. And this was going to be this weird political thriller on this global scale or, or this weird political conspiracy thriller. And that didn't happen. I mean, they didn't change the results of the election. That never happened. It just became a, a, more and more of a personal story. And I like that. What I, what I didn't buy is that a dude mooning somebody is going <laughs> to sway anybody in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, like the, the, the citizens of Brooklyn are going to care. Boo. Yeah, yeah, really? He moons. Matt somebody? Damon's bare ass. I'm not voting for that. <laughs> we are definitely voting. No for female this guy would now. vote for that, All right? And it and was so weird. I thought they were going to be. What was cool was, for a while, you just didn't know what that picture was. It was just there's this weird picture that showed up. It's a scandalous picture, and we're not going to tell you what it is. It's just a scandal. Is he with a dude? Did he? What? What's going on in this? Is it <laughs> sex tape? What happened? That would have been and an then, awesome. Wouldn't it? And then the payoff turns out that he mooned somebody, and you're like, "What? Really? That's what's going to lose in the election? Seriously?" And that's if you want to have a movie about a political character, I I, I think you, especially if you're if I mean, I thought we were going to get some kind of Bullworth type movie. That's at first before the the dudes with the dentist dental implements showed up. I was like, "Okay, this is going to be like Bullworth, where he freaks out and mounts a different kind of campaign." Um, Then Halle Berry teaches him rap. Well, he does go to when he goes to the uh, the rave or whatever with mm-hmm. uh, with Emily Blunt near the end. I was like, yeah, it's going to be like a Bulworth thing where all the the frat boys in the rave embrace uh-huh. him. Yeah, not quite Halle Berry teaching him rap level, but that kind of thing. Um, but it, it really the, the understanding of politics really was terrible, wasn't it? Uh, near yeah, the you're end, absolutely right. When you just, say facile about that, you're absolutely right. Yeah, at the end, he points out, uh, he had a line about, you know, I'm, I'm phoning in my speeches, and I'm still 16 points up. Yeah. As if wow. how much, yeah. as, as, as if you're, you're, rating, you're standing in the polls is determined by how much attention you pay to your speeches. Right. I mean, <laughs> the less, the better. 
And even, you know, his little breakdown moment where he explains the stuff about his shoes and his tie. And I, uh, I, that's, that stuff just seemed like so pandering to, you know, oh, all politicians are insincere. And, and if one of them just confesses this insincerity, Everyone everybody will love him. Yeah. Forget the mooning. <laughs> that wasn't Especially my real since his, his tie was tight again. That annoyed me. Yeah, I hated that too. I thought that too. I'm like, oh, oh, he, he didn't go out with it undone. Like, oh, that would have been. He's awesome. at the podium. It's it's perfectly tied again. After yeah. after she went to the trouble to loosen it and said, "That's really, I like that I a lot more." Yeah, I thought C minus. You just ruined your <laughs> fucking awesome setup right there. Now, I will say one part of the movie where I got a real strong sense of authenticity, and I loved this. Uh, Emily Blunt, holy cats! Like, uh, you know, at one point they say, "Oh, if if he watches her dance." It's, it's too late. <laughs> uh, I guess she really is a dancer because she she looked at first they you know she's doing the goofy contemporary dance I thought it was a little silly but man she looked fantastic dancing. Oh, man she looked great. Her shoulders her, her like her shoulders and a couple of times they had her in these strapless dresses or shirts and stuff she's got these amazing shoulders uh, and her knobs. I didn't. I don't have any patience for that modern shoulders. dance stuff ha- having taken you know classes in it and having had. <laughs> Had to watch it in college and whatnot, but mm-hmm. the, there was so much power and passion in that stuff, and she just got it. I mean, there's so much intensity in what she was doing. At, at one point, when Anthony Mackie's explaining to Matt Damon about the the silly door rules or whatever was going on there, <laughs> it kept cutting to her dancing, and I was like, "No, I don't want to watch Anthony Mackie doing the doors. You know, just yeah. hold the camera on her for Pete's sake." Yeah, as opposed to him saying stuff we're not supposed to remember. Because it's all gibberish <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you gotta turn it left, but then if the blue one's there, oh, you gotta make it left. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll try to remember all that. <laughs> and then it's just, and then that, the, the end sequence is like Matt Damon looking around confused most of the time, like, oh, yeah, uh, this one, right. And yeah, this is like, like he's really thinking, like running. Yeah. yeah, randomly around the city. That's exciting. Wow. <laughs> I don't. I wonder if he's going to get to the wedding on time when he can teleport through doors. Hmm. Well, oh, will love happen? Oh God. Oh, they're back to the top. And he's leaving all the doors open like he was born in a barn or something. You're supposed to shut the doors. Yeah. That's right. They had the one special effects sequence where the woman at the coat check or whatever the door opens into the little coat check booth and there's a rainy street on the other side. He totally blows the cover and leaves the door open for these two people to explore this extra dimensional space. Yeah, and I think they work at the DMV, so I think they're going to go through that door. <laughs> Did they know we've seen The Matrix Reloaded like 10 years ago, and we've seen, the oh, the door that opens on the football field. How oh, do they do that? That's how do they do that? Wow. Is that CG? Oh. But what, when they come out of the football field, a woman in the audience uh, just went, oh, like she was like, God, <laughs> yeah, dude. Let's <laughs> They're going to get a what's lot the, of What's the TV show that was out recently about the motel room? Uh, where you, uh, the Room. The Room. Lost. Yeah, so, and that, that's what I kept thinking of during this. I mean, I kept, you know, like, I think the door thing is a little goofy. When when they're talking about, uh, I hate being downtown. Well, the whole movie's downtown. So what are, we, what are you talking about? Who says say they hate being downtown? Richardson. What? Richardson's, you know, when he's chasing him, he's oh, like, yeah. oh, you, you yeah. can't find the right door. He's like, oh, I hate being downtown. The whole movie's downtown. That's how angels talk. I hate downtown. <laughs> they're not angels. Stop saying that. Why are they angels? Of course they're angels. What are you talking about? They're not. He's, he's, are you guys angels? And then he's all, well, not technically. We're like angels. 
Why do you say they're not angels, Dingus? Yeah, Dingus is offended. Dingus finds that blasphemous. Because uh, Good Hat Harry says they're not. He asks if they're angels, and he says, no, we're not angels. But the fact that the movie has that line means they're angels, but blah, 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 blah. They're Philip K. Dick angels. See, I really, I thought this this movie belongs squarely in the tradition, and here's where I'm going to get, get uh, a little intellectual, uh, it, this idea of, of people wrestling with angels. I mean, there, there's something very much like, you know, Jacob wrestling with the angel here. Uh it's very much uh, the, the entire story, actually, of Wagner's Ring Cycle is this idea of do you go with with who you love or do you go with your fate? Um, and I'm, I'm imagining, I haven't read the Philip K. Dick story. Actually, I've never read anything by Philip K. Dick. What? Uh, I know, I know. I probably should. I mean, I, I've seen all his movies. That's good enough. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Total Recall's exactly <laughs> but, the way he wrote it. But I'm guessing whatever Philip K. Dick wrote was was, I'm guessing, very much aware of and in tune with this idea of Jacob wrestling with the angel and the whole decision that has to be made in the ring cycle, this whole love versus fate uh, and, and, and fighting destiny. Uh, I'm guessing that, you know, Philip K. Dick, that's what he was going for. Um, and here, it, 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 the word facile comes to mind. You know, if, if, you're, if you really like this chick that you've seen a couple of times, but you know that if you're with her, another holocaust might happen... Yeah. That's like heavy stuff, yeah. uh, and that's you know, and that's that's wrestling with God right there, or destiny, or whatever you want to call it. And well, that's their fault for putting all their eggs in his basket, isn't it? It's a stupid plan, because he's. I, I don't get. I don't see that. That's the implication there. I mean, I, I see that, that they're dealing again with everybody all over the world, and this is one story that's happening in the world. This is important to them, but this isn't. This isn't tantamount to stepping back and giving humanity free will, which is what. Um, Thompson or whatever Terrence Stamp's character was talking about. Just because Matt Damon gets to choose something and gets to have the plan rewritten doesn't mean they're doing what they did before the Dark Ages. I'm pretty sure that if, if you're told that, it, that whoever the President of the United States being, I'm pretty sure that would be a crucial part of their plan, though. And when you're told that, that we're watching you because you are going to be the leader of the free world, I think the stakes are, are, are quite a bit elevated there. Like I, I think throwing yeah. that aside for a chick who you've seen a couple of times, that's a tough decision. Now, and, and they do do near the end of the movie this thing where it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to let her live her dream of being a famous ballerina. Now the one. Women shots. And, and that's just a that's a sort of a, like a quick detour at the end of the movie that, that you don't really get the sense that he's wrestling with it, yeah. except for this one little. Near the end. Um, well, if you see that, you won't both be famous. Oh, okay. Well, we better. Uh, yeah. But he sees it as a personal issue. Um, he sees it in the context of who he is, not necessarily, you know, as related to whether or not the Holocaust is going to happen. I mean, he sees, uh, you know, her fixing a flaw in him. And that that's more important to him than suddenly so, something is more important than running for president. And he doesn't necessarily trust that this plan makes any makes any sense. You know, that yeah. it, it's not that if, if I don't become president, there's going to be a Holocaust. It's that maybe if I don't become president, somebody else better will or whatever. I mean, it's that's just not of an impact to him which, because which it's can, a personal story. And I think it makes him. I didn't like him anymore. If he's going to second guess people who can magically spring Emily Bloom's ankle, <laughs> yeah, have this power and they're telling him this thing, and he still is like, no, I like this girl. I can still do it on my own. 
And having people like that in charge is still, you can live your life like that. And at the end, uh, the black dude says, you're going to write the plan on your own someday. But he's already said that that's a terrible, that Terrence Stamp said that if whenever they do that, holocausts happen. <laughs> so, which is it, fuckers? <laughs> well, maybe finally someone's come along who, who is sort of presaging the fact that the human race is ready to move on. Who? Damon? Yeah. Jesus. Damon's the Jesus figure. Don't cause don't don't fuck with the Damon. Cause when Jesus mooned the Romans, it affected things briefly, but not forever. Although you don't know much about Jesus' teenage years when he made that's uh that's where the Testament Bureau was messing around with him and he was having back and forth with him just like Matt Damon. He was making water into wine for teenagers, I predict. And the Testament Bureau's like, no, don't do that. Save that trick for later. <laughs> like, no, I, I, you know, I met this chick, and we're going to do this. Yeah. Uh, another movie that it reminded me of and, and suffered extremely in comparison, uh, Wings of Desire, this whole idea. We're going to show you a different view of, like, angels. Uh, That's an awesome movie. I know. Peter yeah. Falk. And so it reminds me, to, I guess... There, now. Keep your mic exactly where it is right now, and don't okay. touch it again, and don't touch yourself. <laughs> uh, the fact that they changed it from adjustment team to adjustment bureau <laughs> makes perfect sense to to me for a movie that I thought was this kind of rote and unfeeling and dull. Like I, I thought this movie, the word bureau was perfect for this. Yeah, movie. written by committee. Dingus. Dingus finds uh, committees romantic, though. <laughs> yes. I'm it. all about the committees. I yeah, love, bureau- I love bureaucracy. I love committees. Who so was actually, Wendy going to marry? And then you showed up in the bathroom at the last second. Went, Wendy, listen. Here's what's going on. I know it's going to sound crazy, but... Uh, I'm, actually- the, I'm the guy that she married instead of the other guy, unfortunately. Oh, didn't oh, well. wrong door. And, right. The wrong door, right. He, didn't, he, he lost no. the hat. Uh, <laughs> hat. Hat. <laughs> it's all happening. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Tom? Something on your mind? Because uh, what did you think of the title? Are you okay with that title? Because here's the thing: is I don't think the title at all captures the r- romantic element that I think this movie is chiefly trying for. So if I had liked this movie, like I imagine you did, I would have hated the title. Are you okay with that, or do, do you agree with that? I like it because uh, again, it it it's a surprise to me. You know, th- this is one of the things that. That pleases me about a movie, and one of the reasons why I avoid knowing anything about a movie um, is going in and thinking I'm seeing what's going to be, you know, the Adjustment Bureau sounds like it's going to be some sort of weird political thriller, right? Uh, and then, and then you start to see these things developing that it might be this weird conspiracy thriller, and it, and and I like that it becomes this romantic film. I, I like that about it. I like, it sounds that like the title doesn't doesn't do anything to let you know about that. Like the title yeah. makes me think it's the place right next to the star chamber. You know, that, that <laughs> it sounds to me like it's about a chest of drawers. <laughs> <laughs> the forty four inch adjustment bureau. Yeah. <laughs> the maladjustment bureau. But anyway, I, I like I like the title shift because adjustment team sounds smaller. It sounds like it's just going to be those guys in hats. I think the whole hat thing is goofy. I don't understand. Those hats were silly too. I think the hats should have been much. They were almost like pork pie hats. Those should have been bona fide fedoras. 
I thought. What's that Nick Nolte movie where they all wear hats? Uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills? Oh, God, I hate you people. <laughs> Look it up. Nothing There's, else to do. It was another one of those little moments when when um, when Richardson is running and, and just trying to get him before he goes into the uh, the dance studio and he drops his hat and he says to his little stooge, hat, hat. Uh, it just seems Ball like Holland falls. Thank he's you. got to need their hats so badly. And then, unfortunately, it becomes a plot contrivance. You know, they, you have to wear a hat to go through. Magic hat. It's like Lidsville. Huh, guys? It's like Whiteville? Lidsville. Lidsville? Yeah, that Croft show where the guy, kid falls in the hat, and he, there's like he's like a hat universe, and there's like a Nazi hat villain, and Charles Nelson Riley's in there. And wow, that sounds awesome. Wow. I was really baked when it was on. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, as I was leaving, uh, I overheard this from one of the women uh, who was behind me. There, there was a group of like uh, middle-aged women there, and one oh. of the women, as we were walking out, turns to the other women and says, "So was the chairman God?" <laughs> Dingus knows the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> it was Carrot Top. I kind of had the suspicion that she, that um, Elise was going to be even in a higher up adjustment bureau. I wondered if there was, if there, that's one of the things that kept me going. They're going to be another mind. twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought there might be like another twist or another little layer or something. The twist was there was no twist and less even, they twisted back, they untwisted what they already had. So there was even less twist than they started out with. Yeah, I guess so. And that's, again, what I like about it. I, and I think I, I'm being forgiving because I think she is really good. And you could really lose a movie like this if you have uh, a female lead who can't sell that moment, that goofy moment where she um, decides to leave the Statue of Liberty. And I think she can do it. And, and the moments on the roof, as, as goofy, again, as they are, she is so good and their chemistry is so good that it just, it just worked for me because I liked watching her work through those things. Dingus, why are some of the angels in riot gear? Yeah. Is that a ranking thing? Ranking system? Are they a different bureau? They borrowed those from a George Orwell uh, uh, movie. Ah, right. Are those the angels? Ah, Those are demons. (laughs) You can't have demons with angels. Does the god killer from Drive Angry work on them, but not on the black guy? One, two, three, not only you and me, got one Mm. lady that I give that segue a 75. <laughs> That's a 75, Tom. Hey, Tom, you, you were no, you, are you not wearing a hat? Because you just had to turn a knob clockwise and we would have gotten out of that. <laughs> you could not get us out of there. You turn the volume to the left, so it did it. That's how the angels get her do their podcasts. Uh, I'm not, I, I was in no hurry to get to this 3x3, three by, three, by the way. I don't like this one anymore. Well, I do, so you're fine. Good. Huh? Hey, wasn't it your pick? I know, I know. I hate all mine, too. You know, I'm going to hate my one tonight that I like. I like some of mine, but it's just trying to think of stuff. I don't I don't like mine anymore. Uh, I like it because it's a, it's a cool thought experiment. Okay, good. Uh, good. You know, and, and mine are totally stupid, but, uh, but I had a good time considering it you know because i I really love oh anyway why don't you just tell us what it is and then we'll talk oh right uh this week's three by three are commentary tracks that you'd like to hear uh and it doesn't have to be someone involved with the movie of course that's conventionally what we think of as a commentary track 
to director or an actor, the writer, someone who's involved in the movie. But some of my favorite commentary tracks have been from people who weren't directly involved with the movie, but who just loved it. So I was thinking, who are some other people, uh, whether they're from the movie or not from the movie, who I would like to do commentary tracks and, and for what movie? So that's what this is, our three picks for commentary tracks that we would like to hear. So like Dingus's commentary track for the Adjustment Bureau, because he loved it. Hey, hey, don't spoil it. How do you know that's not one of mine? I'm assuming it's at least two of yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kelly, Mon, you are, are introducing next week's 3x3, so you get to start us out uh, with your third most wanted commentary track that you'd like to hear. Okay, my number three and my number two are both lame, but my number one and my runners-up are good. Okay, good. So I'm just going to skip. I'm just going to barrel through the first two. You just blurt it out. We don't even have to discuss it, although we probably will. Okay, my number three commentary track that I'd like to hear is George Lucas doing commentary track for what I consider his best movie in the last 20 years, Howard the Duck, where <laughs> like he's explaining things like, yeah, here we wanted to convey that Howard has a penis because he has these condoms that she finds, but you just can't see it because it's a kid's movie, which makes Howard relatable to me because I have a kid's penis. <laughs> That's my Has number George three. Lucas ever done a commentary track? No. He doesn't even... I mean, he doesn't talk when he directs, so why would he talk? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have that much to say. Uh, Kelly Rond, uh would you like to tell me where you've received your training? Afghanistan. Kachnia? Yeah. Okay. No, Afghanistan. <laughs> That's my Norse locks, because... <laughs> Afghani uh, training usually it's blonde people usually get no forget it Can't uh, even talk the duck was directed by George Lucas really yeah I think so wow then he Did stopped for a while you haven't seen it uh, Jeffrey Jones is in it that's since I was a kid I'm sure I saw it as a kid and, and isn't Howard CG oh he didn't direct it I'm an idiot it was directed by Willard Hyuck <laughs> <laughs> which sounds like duck but it's got a Y in the middle of it and it's got an H at the beginning, like the word Howard. So it's like his last name was almost the name of the movie. But you, you still, but Lucas, what, produced it or something? You still want to hear him talk about yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Tim Robbins plays Phil Blumbert in it. And uh, Chip Zian played Howard the Duck. Oh, Chip Zian. That Chip Zian. Chip Zian was also, you guys may not know this, he was R2-D2. And all of the Ewoks. It's a science fiction movie, and it's also a romantic comedy movie. So it has a lot in common with... With the Adjustment Bureau. It has almost everything in common with the Adjustment Bureau that I can think of. Because it's got portals and doors and Jeffrey Jones oh, yeah, and Dingus. <laughs> Dingus loves it. Right. right. There's right. a duck. George right. Lucas. So George Lucas doing a Howard the Duck commentary track is something you would like to hear. Yeah, that's my weak one. All right. But it's the one I have the most to say about. The rest just like, this is what I'd like to hear. and then I, w- I would like to hear, actually, George Lucas do a commentary track for anything. I, mean, I, I want to know what the heck he's thinking. No, you don't. You've heard, he's given away much of his thoughts through the movies themselves. We don't need commentary. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I'm not sure you can add much to it. All right. I wouldn't mind hearing a commentary track for Temple of Doom, oh, actually. Unfortunately, he did not direct that. I know, but 
You mean from uh, George Lucas or from Steven Spielberg? Steven oh. Spielberg died. You know what? Let's hold that thought because that might be a runner-up or somebody might have picked that. Oh. But actually, so has Spielberg done any uh, commentary tracks? Spielberg? I don't, I don't think he has. No, I don't think he does them. I think he's of the very much of the school of my my film speaks for itself. Uh, my commentary track would be redundant. By the way, whoever's sending me uh, messages, I can't see them because I don't know where they show up in Skype. Move your mic. Okay. There's there's something that there's an I am. Right. Go down to those things at the bottom and, and it says show I am. Um, is your do you have an antivirus running by any chance? Listeners, uh, feel uh, free to chime in if you need an answer. <laughs> Feel free to leave. I think, you, I think it's a bandwidth issue. Nerd alert. Yep. We're almost done, and this will only be unlistenable for two hours. So, <laughs> I, I am I am downloading via uh, BitTorrent the the Star Wars prequels. So. Oh, well, that that's it. That's fine. Well, it's worth it then. Uh, download the ones with the commentary tracks by Jar Jar. Yeah. All right. I think it's, what is your number three commentary track that you would like to hear? All right, my number three commentary track, and you guys are going to think I'm trying to grief Tom by saying this, but I'm absolutely being serious. Oh, God. Um, it's a 1982 film that I, I haven't seen since I was in high school, uh, when, I, when I used to just try to catch it on cable to try to catch uh, um, a sh- uh, just any any movie I could possibly see where I could catch uh, a a nude woman or a partially nude woman. And this movie is zapped. And the uh, commentary, the commentary by um, two people I really like, one is Kelly Wand and the other is Peter Berg. Now, neither of these people have anything to do with zapped. I don't think for people who have ever heard any of the synopses that go on uh, before these um, little podcasts we do would, I don't think I have to explain why I would want to hear Kelly Wan do a commentary track. And I'm completely in earnest about this because Kelly Wan loves to bring up Zapped. Uh, And I would like to hear him. I would like to watch this movie listening to Kelly Wan talk about it rather than having just to watch the movie. And uh, the reason I picked Peter Berg is because he, he's done a couple of my favorite commentary tracks for films that he's either directed or produced. One of them being uh, PU, uh, 239 is it Pooh, and he he has this perfect way of 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 uh of being deadpan of being seemingly in earnest but asking utterly absurd and insulting questions to the person who's doing the commentary so i'd like to have kelly sitting there um commenting on the film and peter berg in earnest, asking him <laughs> questions about the making of the film because i think that that would be the best way to watch zapped <laughs> Wait. First I'm things first. You were in high school in 1982. Uh, I was. Well, no, I wouldn't have. Ah, uh-huh, you're old. I came out in '82, <laughs> but it was in on cable. Remember, movies came on cable much much later than they came out in theaters back right. then. Right. So it was uh, it was like going through the Cinemax type of rotations all during when I was in high school. Those kind of movies would crop up, and that's probably when I saw it. So you have very hard that. to see through like the 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 haze of the um, the scrambled channels on my grandparents' television set. Eighty two really was the platinum year for movies. Uh, what else came out in eighty two? Poltergeist. What? Poltergeist. Road Warrior. Road Warrior. Oh wow, nice. Okay. Cocoon two, Mannequin two on the move, Zapped, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back. 
Smoking the Bandit too. Now you're not you're not you don't know this. You're reading this somewhere. I can tell. Gremlins. Yeah, he's reading it. <laughs> he has a tattooed on his thigh. <laughs> uh, so Dingus, you're a jerk because I'm now gonna I'm crossing out my number one. My number what? one was Kelly Wand for 2001. You know, I went back out. and forth. Oh, go ahead. You go ahead and talk. No, that's all I have to say is that I'm going to cross that out and do a, a real. I mean, I was in earnest, but I'm picking a different one because you're a jerk. Uh, but Dang, no, I would, I would rather because I don't want to watch 2001 again. But if Kelly yeah. Wand were like riffing on it or talking about it, I'd rather while talk I was watching that. it. I would watch 2001 again. Oh, it's but I wouldn't want to talk during that. I'd rather. No, talk. you would. T- you would please. You, every movie I've gone to Look at with this. you, Kelly Wand, you've talked. You're a talker. A I am not a lot. You just want to say things. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just That's okay, but a you're bait. a talker. Yeah. I just want to share my thoughts. So we want you to do that for us for Zapped. And, uh, you know what? I think Zapped is far better. It's probably shorter than 2001. I never talk during that thing they show before the movie where it's like everyone's talking and then they go, please shut the fuck up during the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Kelly One, will you do a track for us for, for a commentary track for Zapped? I mean, we could do it. We could just post the track and then we could do like a Pink Floyd Wizard of Oz thing and like, right. you know, people just now, queue it up and then they watch. Kelly Wan, can, can you get Peter Berg for us? Afghanistan? Chechnya? <laughs> Alright, yeah. my number three uh, is uh, well, yeah, it's actually now all three. Well, my number one isn't, isn't as serious, but my first two are serious. My number three, uh, I, I read an interview with Clint Mansell recently. Uh, uh-huh. He has such a a strange background. I would love to hear him talk more about doing the sound, the soundtrack for the fountain. Mm. So I want a Clint Mansell the music. Yeah. Yeah. What? What's wrong with that? that? I, I think the music, that's the part of the fountain you want to hear an hour and a half about instead of just like Aronofsky. I don't know. I don't want to hear Aronofsky talk. Actually. I, I really don't. Uh, I don't I've, I've seen interviews with him. I don't, I mean, as a curiosity, yes, I would like to hear him talk, or maybe do a, a commentary track. Um, but uh, no, I don't. I, have you ever read interviews with him or heard him talk, Kelly Wan? Uh, a little bit about Requiem. I mean, he did, I, it wasn't that in, like exciting. Like Alexander Payne was a better. That was well, not th- commentary. I mean, I, I think Darren Aronofsky's brilliant, but he's a little full of himself. And I think for me, The Fountain is such a kind of a weird personal experience. I'm not sure I want to listen to the sort of self-aware genius who made it explain it to me because i don't need to hear any of that charlie Uh, sheen's full of himself and it's awesome people who are full of themselves are funny plus i don't don't need i don't need someone funny entertaining me while i watch the the fountain but what i would like to hear is clint mansell talking about whatever personal stuff it was that that brought that soundtrack out of him because i sort of feel like he responded to it on a very specific very personal level because, I mean, he does great soundtracks, but there's something really special, I think, about the soundtrack for The Fountain. So, that's a guy I would like to hear talk while uh, while watching that movie. Hmm. Interesting. So I mean, what if he just goes, yeah, the movie, that inspired me to write this music, and then that's it. That's the whole thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he would. He's described, he's, he's described actually, the just soundtrack notes. of The Fountain. He's mm-hmm. described the soundtrack of The Fountain as a, a, a concept album. Huh. Like mm-hmm. a, the same way he would approach doing a concept album, uh, so I, I think he would have a lot to say beyond this note goes with this scene. I'd like to hear Weird Al do a commentary track on "Eat It." 
So you not hear the commentary. Not a movie. Not a movie. No, I know. It's like you turn the sound of the music down, and you hear him commentating on a, sa- on a song that you don't can't hear because of the commentary track. Okay, but that's yeah. Great, Kelly. Keep talking. Neat <laughs> podcast. I, I actually like that, Tom, because it, there is a movie that does that. Not with him. I think the Matrix doesn't the Matrix have a music only commentary track, something like that, where it, where it just talks where the guy who does the score, which oh. isn't. I think does I don't know maybe. Well, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, the Matrix. The Matrix. Were you going to say something disparaging about this, the soundtrack of the Matrix? Because that's an awesome soundtrack. It it really is, but there's a, there's a lot of other music. There's you know there's score music and then there's there's like Propellerhead stuff too. Right. Well, that's um, what I thought you meant, like the, the music supervisor, whoever gets that stuff together. I would love to hear from that person more than whoever did the little boring incidental music. Uh, I'm not sure which it is, but I know it's been done on some, one of the movies, and I think it's The Matrix, but I'm not sure. But I, I love the idea of, of listening to Clint Mansell, because I don't know what you're talking about when you say he's got an interesting background, and now I'm suddenly, I, I want to read up on the guy, because he's well, he, one of my favorite composers. He comes from a British band called Pop Will Eat Itself. Did you know that? Like He's, he's just a dude from a band. Uh, no, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, and he, uh, I think... He did Pi, the soundtrack for Pi, the uh, Darren Aronofsky's first movie, uh, and I think that's how he got into doing uh, soundtracks. Aronofsky. Hey, he's doing uh, Mass Effect Three, so Ugh. he's not in mean, video games. Mm. <laughs> so he's not a sellout. <laughs> hey, right, you know so, Go ahead, Dion. What was that? You know what's a really good score? Seventy-five. <laughs> <laughs> That's a B. That's a solid B. Oh, oh, oh solid. Okay, uh, what is your second most desired commentary track that you would like to hear? Okay, this is the one I don't really want to explain. I think just if I say what it is, you'll go, oh, and then we can move on. So my number two is 2001, commentary track by Sarah Palin. <laughs> Thank you. That's my number two. Oh. My number one's good, though. <laughs> That's the valley between the mountains. I kind of like Depending on... Say. Right. Because she can't even say a sentence, right? Like, her word order's so fucking weird. And so 2001... Like, she would be trying to, like, describe... I don't know. First off, she has to watch the movie, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just want to... I think it'd be good. I agree. I would, I would like to hear that. I would very much like to hear that. I love listening to her talk. I just, uh, no, she's as entertaining as I'll get out. I just cannot get enough of hearing that woman, seriously. I, it's, like, it's, it's like you can't get enough, but at the same time you feel like you need a shower and you're dirty for watching. Oh, I don't. Really? No, because you're contributing to Holocaust. <laughs> listening to her talk. Because they report what she, everything she says, no matter how right, stupid it is. Because it's so entertaining. Yeah, but then you, but then there'll be a news story like Sarah Palin, our next president. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. Is it because I listen to that? Like, am I, fuck, am I? Does she? Do they know that I think it's funny? Like, Sarah Palin will never be the president of the United States. But what if, what if enough people like me go, hey, it would be funny if she's president. Sarah, Sarah Palin cannot navigate the political process to save her life. She will never be the president of the United States. We thought this adorable woman. I, I, I kind of loathe what she does to the political process. Uh, but I find her eminently entertaining. I think she's as hot as all get out. What? Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, Time out. What, you don't find her attractive? Fuck no. What are you talking about? Are you serious? 
You are joking. That's a troll. I don't think she's interested in the job, to be honest with you. Or any job. She doesn't have a job. She quit her job. That's what makes She does. Me- I'm sure she works really hard at being famous, and, and she loves that. But, but the presidency, I don't think, is a job she would be interested in. But she doesn't even know – she doesn't know what that is. She thinks she would just show up, never hold a press conference, type something on Facebook, go to sleep. Oh, I think she knows what it is. I mean she knows what it is from having been a governor and quitting that job. I think I think she's she's smart about knowing that what it is and knows she doesn't want to do it. But Wait, okay, she's not so that's rule it out. Tom's saying she's hot and you're saying she's smart. Just so I'm clear on both these things. <laughs> All right, maybe I should say canny. I would say she's smarter than she is hot. How's that? Oh, no, that's crazy. Take that, that's, Tom. That, Kelly Wan, that's the most insane thing you've ever said in the 10-plus years that I have known you. Dude, you'll sleep with anything. <laughs> I'm not... What? what? Yeah, where did that come from? This? First of all, first of all... <laughs> You're saying Wan, this tonight? I would never have thought that till tonight. Now. Wait a minute. I, it, there, it's not a controversial thing to say that Sarah Palin is hot. It's not uh, like I'm saying... Uh, don't Rosie keep O'Donnell saying it. Ugh. That's just as bad. What's the Sarah difference? Palin is, is Dingus back me up on this. It's not unusual to say that Sarah Palin is hot, is it, Dingus? Compared to what? Of course not. Compared to who? Compared to when you Compared say Compared to Joe hot. Biden. Oh. <laughs> no. You know what? I'd rather bang Joe Biden. Wow. Okay. That's the, I I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as my ringtone for At least now. he's waxed. <laughs> Have you seen her? She's like a grizzly bear down there. <laughs> Where's your number two? There's so much three by three material here for you to start. Why didn't you do this during you know the adjustment? Well? You know what else too? If she watched 2001, I bet she would think that oh, it was a documentary about the year 2001. Like it all really happened. <laughs> See, under Bush, we went to the moon and Jupiter and found a Bible. It was a big monolith. It's black, so we hunt the end. Now, how would she interpret the end? I can't wait to find out. You would totally fall in love with her on that commentary track. You would. You would. That's, the, that's the twist at the end of this thriller. Tom, that's just wrong, what you said. Wronger than anything I've even said. It's not wrong. I stand by it. You're wrong saying she's smarter than she is hot. That is an insane, crazy man thing to say. No, and I don't think she's smart. I was sort of making, I was ripping on you for saying you'd, you'd tap that, which I, I just say that. I don't talk that way. Hot? Dude, what does hot mean? What is your definition of hot as opposed to, like, lukewarm? A 75? Is she a 75 hot? Is she an She's LA just hot? flat out hot. If you look up in the Tom Chick Dictionary, you would find a picture of Sarah Palin, Lucy Liu, and Kirsten Scott Thomas. What? That's right. <laughs> Cartwright. We already know your barometer for hot. <laughs> and a young Veronica Cartwright. She, what's the matter? With, of course. Okay, uh, my number two... Um, <laughs> I think it's Kelly Wan and I are having a very important conversation over yeah, here. about you, Sarah uh, Palin's vagina. <laughs> it's political discussion. All right, now get us out of this thing. Please. What is your I, number two commentary track that you would most like to hear Sarah Palin? I mean, that you would most like to hear Tom wants Sarah to Palin keep or someone her shrine, and I don't want it. He doesn't want me sullying her name. <laughs> How dare you? Mm. Sullying. All right, number two has... Yeah, what is your number two? Uh, kind of been uh, ruined by something Kelly Wan said, but not quite. That, um, like everything. <laughs> like everything. I ruined one thing per sentence. Can I guess what it is? Because he ruined one of mine by saying something. Can I just make a guessing guess? Yeah, jump in. Was it going to be a Charlie Sheen commentary track? No. Okay. I, I wasn't going to do that either. I just thought maybe that's... Oh, no, 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 topical. <laughs> Duh, winning. Charlie Sheen's hot, too, to me. Duh. <laughs> 
All right, Diggis, so go ahead. Give us, give it, maybe give us a line this time. Um, I don't think I'm going to give you a line because you could guess it. Um, oh, this is, I'm going to give you the booster, and uh, and then I'm just going to tell you who because I don't think you're going to be able to guess who I would want to do the commentary track. So I'm talking about the film from um, sometime in the 80s. I think this film came out. I'm not sure when. It might have been the 90s or or the 70s. It's called Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Um, and Tom's familiar with it. You may have to give him more details besides the date that you already specified. <laughs> Return of the Jedi from either the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. It might have been the 60s. La, 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 la. Tom thinks Admiral Akbar is hot, by the way. <laughs> On tonight's revelations. It's a trap. And that's all I wanted to say. Commentary track by Admiral Akbar. Yes. <laughs> that would be great. Actually, that's better than what I was choosing. All right. Uh, the commentary is by um, a guy named Gary Kurtz oh, uh, and George Lucas together. Now, Gary Kurtz, uh, very famously last year, um, talked about, you know, he produced um, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And, and in fact, I think he came up with the name Empire Strikes Back. And when he realized, um, at least this is how he puts it, that George Lucas's idea for the third movie was just to sell toys. And then increasingly, the whole franchise was going to be about selling toys instead of about telling the story they're interested in. He said, I'm done. Uh, because th- there were a number of things that he says that were going to happen in Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi, like uh, like Han Solo dying, or like Luke Skywalker just walking off at the end, like the man Spaghetti with the Western. name, yeah, uh, and 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 uh, Leia you know, having trouble being queen, and all these sort of difficult things happening, and it and it being a much more um, character driven idea rather than about a bunch of teddy bears dancing around. And when he realized that it was all about selling toys, he said, "I'm done." And he's been very vocal about this. He hasn't been afraid to talk about it. And I would love to hear him in a room with George Lucas uh, as the movie plays, just sparring over it while they're moderated by Kevin Smith, who is one of my favorite Star Wars nerds. And and this is the commentary track I'd like, you know, without Kevin Smith and his and his whole group of, pe- group of people getting drunk, which is what they do on their normal commentary tracks. Having Kevin Smith sit between Gary Kurtz and George Lucas to moderate Return the Jedi and sort of hash out what the hell happened with this vision they had and where did it all fall apart. And I don't care if they talk about the movie, but I would just love to hear the three of them go at it, talk about the prequel, talk about whatever and talk about what happened to this franchise. I, I can tell you that right now, Dingus. We don't need a commentary track from these three men. All right, go ahead. Exactly what happened. What happened is that George Lucas is about as bright as Sarah Palin. That's what mm. happened. And as hot to Tom. <laughs> but I the think, matches the drapes. <laughs> I think Gary Kurtz is, is uh, at least articulate and to hear him talk about points in the movie would be you know, I don't know, it would lend sort of another dimension to the movie for me. You're right, that's, that's a fair point. Another thing he said at the time was like, wait, Death Star 2? What the fuck? What's wrong? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So that's a little derivative of the movie. Yeah, isn't that kind of weird to do that a little? Yeah. Thanks, Lucas. Tom's so annoyed right now. <laughs> 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 He's masturbating watching that. Let's go back and talk about Sarah Palin some more. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! Right, Have you so seen Gary Chin? Kurtz, She's Gary got Kurtz, giblets. Gary Jowls. George Lucas and Kevin Smith on Return of the Jedi. They actually, is it called Star Wars Five? Six colon oh Star Wars Six colon Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Is it Star Wars 
six colon a new hope colon return of the Jedi. Is that right? Raiders of the Lost Jedi. <laughs> okay. The Black Pearl. First All right, so oh. there's that one. <laughs> you guys want to talk about Star Wars? I'll go make a sandwich or something. If you guys want to no, no. Star Wars talk. Okay. We want your commentary on our Star Wars film. <laughs> I want to hear what Gary Kurtz has to say about Obi-Wan's gesture, because I think he's got a whole... He came up with that, I think, actually. I believe it. I believe it. He's Why like, couldn't hey, you use John Lucas? Like, hey, Alex, you were just going to see... You wanted to make... <laughs> this isn't the script you want. You're looking for. JK. All right, well, my number two is also a, uh, a joint session with two dudes. Uh, I guess each of yours so far have had multiple dudes doing your commentary track. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number two is Tony Blair and Colin Powell doing a commentary track for In the Loop. Oh, nice. Which was, uh, which was <laughs> the, I think, the, the definitive treatment of the invasion of Iraq. Uh, it's a, uh-huh. a, a, a British movie. Uh, it's, I think, our generation's Dr. Strangelove. Um, and those are both, Tony Blair and Colin Powell are, are both good men who made the exact wrong choices about this this uh, historical event. And I think In the Loop is very much about those kinds of people, but it's a more middle-level movie. Uh, In the Loop is basically about the fallout of the choices those two men made. Uh, and I would love to have them watch it. Now, of course, they would have to be... I don't know if either of them is quite at a point. They're on the way. I don't think either of them is quite at a point in their career where they can speak as frankly as they would need to. But once they reach that point, I would love to have them sit down, watch in the loop, and talk about it. So hmm. that's my number two. But aren't and they just well, going to... Well, well, with Sarah Palin in the room as well. Oh, uh, yeah. So there's some sex appeal for Tom. <laughs> uh and wouldn't they just say the same shit that uh, Gary Kurtz and George Lucas would say, which is, uh, uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. If, if in a in a perfect world we could we could have them go through some sort of a, an adjustment where they have to be honest. Get it? Well, See what you, you did say there? Things, but I, part of what, what uh, part of, of what inspires this is uh, the Errol Morris documentary Fog of War, where Farland. Uh, uh. Speaks so frankly about uh, his stint as a. Uh, oh, yeah. Was he defense or stint? Yeah, his, his stint as Secretary of Defense during the Vietnam War. I mean, that, I love that movie. And he's, I, I do too. He's cagey, that. though. He's cagey, but boy, he's frank. I mean, come on. I mean, it, that's. It's, it, imagine when people can talk that way about the invasion of Iraq. I'm, that's never going to happen. Why do you say that? Of course it is. Bush, they're just going to say what Bush did. Like, oh, in 100 years, it'll all make sense, but you'll be yeah. dead, so you won't know this. You just well, got to take my. That's the thing, isn't it? That's why Tony Blair and Colin Powell are, are, are the guys you know, going out. I think both of those men are going to be haunted for the rest of their lives by the poor choices they made. And, and so they should be. So they should be. Absolutely. So this is part of their penance, you're saying? Yeah, well, I think, I think Tom's that. right. I think that Colin Powell. It, he seems to be a man of character yeah. in spite of what he went through and I think that Tom's right that at some point he's going to he's going there's going to be a reckoning for him where he says this and and just unburdens himself in in a, in a frank way and I and I like I like the way Tom's saying and, and his link with um, the Errol Morris documentary is a really good link because that mm-hmm. is astounding to watch happen yeah. and I think I think Colin Powell unlike somebody like Donald Rumsfeld is not somebody who's going to, I hope, uh, you know, try to dissemble about what actually happened, but actually say, you know, 
I've got to come. I've got to. I've got to set the record straight for history's sake. Hmm. And part of it too is I. I know what was going on. With, you know, I have no interest in hearing from, you know, Rumsfeld or, or Wolfowitz or, or even Bush. I mean, I mean, or Cheney. You know, those guys. I know what they were thinking, and they they were they were wrong. They they were misguided. I think there was even a little bit of evil to what they were trying to do. The way they a little bit. It. Um, I I don't think they're evil in the sense of like you know, Hitler or, or even Gaddafi. I, I mean, they had, an no, they're agenda. worse. No, come on, Kelly. Wan. They, they had an agenda. They, they, they sold it in a disingenuous way. It turns out they were flat out wrong about what they wanted to accomplish, about the methodology they used to accomplish, accomplish it, to try to accomplish it. Um, but I don't think they're evil in the sense that someone like Gaddafi or even, even Mubarak, I mean, they, they, they weren't, uh, well, yeah, I, I just think on the scale of evil, the impact of what they had, by the way, w- was much larger than what Gaddafi or Mubarak uh, could do. Um, but as far as intent, I don't think they were as evil as those guys. I think they, they legitimately believed in doing the best thing for their country. Uh, you, you know, a lot, of, a lot of patriots do evil things, uh, and I think they were legitimately concerned about the U.S. They just were incredibly misguided about how to proceed. Um, so I'm not as interested in hearing from those guys as I am from hearing about guys who knew better, and and that's why Tony Blair and Colin Powell are particularly interesting to me. Hmm. But not as hot as Sarah Palin. Tony Blair's a good-looking fella. That's true. <laughs> Pretty much the same person if you put glasses on him. You know, it's kind of weird. I see pictures of Tony Blair, and there's a cognitive disconnect for me because I'm so used to seeing Michael Sheen playing <laughs> Tony Blair. I'm like, no, that doesn't look quite yeah, right. Yeah, what do you do to his hair? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's my number two. Uh, before you we guys did back, real ones. Well, wait do you see? Well, no, my number one became a real one once I replaced Charlie Sheen. Uh, mm, that's topical, one. Tom. Shut up. Kelly Wan, what's your, number, what's your number one commentary track that you would most like to hear? Now, you promised this was your good one, didn't you? Yeah, I do. All I right. still promise it. You be the judge. Right. I have good runners up too. Um, but my number one <laughs> is Platoon, but with commentary by, by Mo- Charlie Sheen. No, no, no. By Mo Howard on how he's the Tom Berenger stooge, and by Shemp Howard on how he's the William Defoe stooge. That's my number one that I'm really proud of. <laughs> I said it was going to be a good one. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, it just went over your head. I think so. <laughs> The Three Stooges humor is pretty complicated for your team. <laughs> Wait, why are they talking about Platoon? <laughs> because Platoon is like Three Stooges, and Charlie Sheen was the Larry, and Moe was the Barnes, and Shemp, or Curly, if you will. The Elias. No, it was the Elias, yeah. So it's like, it's well, that music. Who's, who's it's that music. That? Uh, that would be uh, Matthew Modine oh. as Joker. Oh, Tom grunted. Usually, oh, right. he only reserves that grunt for his Sarah Paling evenings. Sarah Paling. <laughs> uh, after the synopsis, like it's all, it's all over. Yeah. It becomes Sarah Paling. Uh, have anyway. you watched Platoon recently, Kelly Wand? I don't think it holds up. No, but when Charlie Sheen said, I won Best Picture at 20, and I wasn't even warm yet, totally made me want to rewatch it and see if like he's awesome in it. And does, Charlie, does Charlie Sheen know that the Best Picture award does not go to him? <laughs> No, he thought Denise Richards was that award. 
Very nice, Kelly. Dingus, what is your number one commentary track that you would most like to hear? Uh, I am a real sucker for a well-written um, panning of a terrible movie. Uh, I really take a lot of pleasure in reading. Uh, I, I love reading movie reviews, and I don't read them till after I uh, till after I ever see movies. And this is this is perennially my favorite review. And this is Roger Ebert's review of Jaws for the Revenge. Um, <laughs> I just love this review. It's it's one of those things. It's just a short thing. Uh, that I will take out when I'm feeling blue, one of those little things that I'll look and read, and it always gives me a great deal of joy. And, um, you know, Tom introduced this character talking about the fact that Roger Ebert does a commentary track for um, Dark City, which was his favorite film of that year, his number one film of that year. And uh, and he does, when when he used to um, do more talking... Um, I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, obviously, he, he can't he can't do public speaking anymore, or he's going to be able to with a computer, but he can't do it anymore. He used to do shot-by-shot -shot analyses of movies at, at his own little film festivals that he used to do, which sounded like a really cool idea. So I have no doubt that he could that he could do it and that he would do his homework. And so I would really like to, to watch Jaws for the Revenge, which I remember seeing in a theater um, because it's 1987. And this is when I was in high school because I was in high school for apparently 10 years. Um, <laughs> and so I would love to hear him do, uh, I'd love to be able to sort of travel through time and hear him do a commentary track of Jaws for the Revenge, because I know he would, he would go through the trouble of, of researching things about the movie, and and I would you know he could invite whoever he wants if he wants to get Steven Spielberg in there to talk about the movie. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. He wants to get Michael Caine, who one of his laments was that Michael Caine missed the Oscars because yeah, he was winning filming his Oscar. the, this awful movie. Um, or if he wants to get Joseph Sargent, the director of the film, in there, that's fine. Or if he just wants to talk on his own, uh, because I love reading that review so much. Uh, it's just one of those great memories for me. It's one of those first reviews I read that made me just cry with laughter because it so nailed what was absurd about this awful, terrible movie uh, that I would I would like to watch it and 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 see him talk about it or hear him talk about it rather. So my number one is Jaws Four commenter uh, Roger Ebert. I like Ebert's review of The Village. I thought that was a really funny one, and I really like Pauline Kael's review of Jedi. And Rambo 2, in which she compared watching Rambo 2 to a tank sitting in her lap firing at her face. <laughs> <laughs> which totally made me want to have sex with Pauline Kael. It was so, <laughs> such good writing. <laughs> All right, I'm going to change your mind. <laughs> yeah. So she's honored me than Sarah Palin because she writes like a. And she compared a Han Solo being defrozen in Jedi to um, the emotional weight of it to him being locked out of the garage and knocking to be let back in to Princess Leia. <laughs> that was her analogy. I'd like Gary Kurtz and Pauline Kael to do a Jedi commentary. Together. That's, lovely. Yeah. That's, that's much better than, uh, than uh, having George Lucas in there. I like that. That's what is it? Can we replace George Lucas with Pauline Kael for your yes. uh, yeah. Jedi commentary track? Or go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. <laughs> right, it's, 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 the answer is yes to that. Yeah. Get my approval. Is there room in there, Genghis, for Sarah Palin? Oh, there's always room for Sarah Palin. The if, if she brings a turkey and a moose. 
Oh, God. Tom. You have issues, dude. I don't know. It's not cool. Yeah, you know, cool. Kelly, everybody in America thinks that. No, they don't. She most didn't win. Do. No, what most people? people yeah, Republican hillbillies do. Kelly won. She was in a beauty contest. Oh, that was a thousand years ago. That was when Dingus was in high school. <laughs> in 1975. Rating. The score for 1975. <laughs> uh, my number one, I can't say much about because you guys have not seen the movie. Um, mm. uh, and I wasn't sure who I wanted to do the commentary track. I had Charlie Sheen down there for a minute. But that's, that, that is too topical. Forget that. That's all. Move, uh, move your mic real quick before you do this one. I, I might want to have Kelly Wan do it, but uh, I want him... 2001, but so I finally picked Spike Jones just because I think he would have special insight into this movie and its sense of humor and absurdity that I want to hear him talk about this movie. And the movie is called Rubber. Uh, you, you can watch it now on uh, Amazon.com or various other uh, video-on-demand things. It's $10 right now on Amazon.com. Uh, it will be released in the U.S. I think in April. Um, but Rubber is about, um, yes. this isn't a spoiler, because everybody knows this, it's the, the tagline, Rubber is about a tire that has the power to make people's heads explode. Uh, <laughs> it's it Scanners is, meets Smoking the Bandit. Um, y- yes. But Scanners of, meets the Red Balloon meets... Oh yes, Red Balloon was the thing you used earlier. Yeah. Yes, it's like Scanners meets the Red Balloon. Um, and it's, it's a film, Quentin... I'm going to screw up his last name because it's French. Depew, I guess? I don't know. Racist. Uh, assuming he's Canadian. It's an English-language movie. It's, it's not a, a foreign film. Racist. Uh, it, at least as, as far as the language they speak. Um, but it has it has an absolutely unique sensibility. So I want to hear from the director of Being John Malkovich, for instance. I want to hear from him about this movie. Uh, rubber is weird, and I think a lot of folks listening would not like Rubber. I definitely recommend Rubber to Kelly Wand. I maybe recommend it to Dingus. Um, and there you go. So I don't want to say anything about it because you guys haven't seen it and I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, that's my pick for the number one commentary track I'd like to hear. You know, Sarah Palin looks like 10 miles of uh, bad road. So there is... It's like a tire went over her face. Now you're trying to like... <laughs> that she's ugly. Not just that she's not hot. You're now positing that she's actually ugly? Because I know it's behind the skin. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I'm just talking about her physical appearance. She's an attractive... It's all one. Her mind is... Her her, her brain is physical. There's a physical... I know the blob of... Uh, With her, I do. It's that extreme. Alright. I mean, with Olivia Wilde, if she was... like, If it was Sarah Palin, but in Olivia Wilde's body, maybe... I don't know. Kelly Wand, who will play Sarah Palin in the biopic? Dingus. I'm not. I'm not smart enough. Oh, that's true. <laughs> don't you think? Don't you find her charismatic at all, Kelly Wan? No, because it's hard. To, I mean, Tom says. I know it's hard. I think the oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> she just—it's like the words that come out of her mouth. To paraphrase Chris Tucker, <laughs> talking about. <laughs> I don't understand them. And she touches hey. black man's radio. If you know what I'm saying. Hey, Kelly, what's the uh, tagline on the Zapped poster? Oh, I can't remember. They're getting a little behind in their classwork. <laughs> oh, that has nothing to do with telekinesis. It's about... It's about butts. <laughs> then I can't lie. <laughs> and grades, right. 
Huh, that's interesting. Telekinesis won't sell the movie. We got to, you know, it's about Heather Thomas's butt. <laughs> telekinesis is just like. You got to put butts in the seats. That'll get, right. That'll get I'll tell t- you what, what is our three by three next week? Wait, what are runners up? Yeah, I got some. Whoa, awesome. whoa, 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 runners up. All right. I had Quentin Tarantino for the Charlie's Angels movies. <laughs> I think Both of them? them justice. Yeah. Yes. It'd be like a marathon. I don't like or a hearing double him feature talk. in this case. I don't like hearing him talk. I like him best when he's not heard. Quentin Tarantino should be seen and not heard. Like yeah. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Who was the one you said that you didn't want it? Like Aronofsky? He's like that. Who's yeah, more for himself than Tarantino? Yeah, but Tarantino couldn't be talking about himself. Well, he'd have to talk about the brilliance of McGee while he's watching the Charlie's Angels movies. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Sorry. Uh, I would love lot. to hear uh, Mila Jovovich do a commentary track for, for Aeon Flux, which which she isn't even in. You know, that's Charlie's Theron. But uh, <laughs> after hearing her do a commentary track for uh, the one she was in, which one was she in? Resident Evil. Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet. And then Charlize Theron does a commentary track for Resident Evil. You know, Charlize Theron, though, speaking of, of attractive and smart, I think she's really smart. I think she would do a great commentary track. Uh-huh. If you win an Oscar, you're usually smart. As a rule. There like Mira, Sor- Mira Sorvino, for instance. She's not that dumb. I mean, she's not as dumb as Sarah Palin. I don't know. She won an Oscar. She's good. Yeah. Please, uh, Sarah Palin could run rings around Mira Sorvino in, say, a spelling bee. Uh-huh. She couldn't spell B. <laughs> uh, what are some of y'all's runners up? Should I go first or second, Dingus? I got go it. ahead, Kelly. You you had your your the one you're most excited about is your runner up, right? Yes. Go okay. for it. Here are my runners up. Uh, no real explanations. Just like this is what I'd like to hear. Okay, sexy beast commentary by Gandhi. Species <laughs> two commentary by Carl Sagan. Um, the fly. Commentary by Charles Darwin and Mike Huckabee. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that one. Uh, Enter the Void. Commentary by Eva Gabor. King's Speech. Commentary by Helen Keller. Paranormal Activity. Commentary by Fred Rogers. Heavy Metal. Commentary by Bertrand Russell. Tron Legacy. Commentary by Dostoevsky. Because I want to see if he cheers his own name when Garrett Delahunt says it in that one part. And finally, Crank High Voltage. Commentary by C. Everett Koop. Right, I think I'll go first, actually. Mm. <laughs> that Those are my real runners up. All your political ones, Kelly One. What's the movie that we could make Judith Miller watch? The, the New York Times Miller? chick who uh, oh, the cheerleader for the Iraq War. Oh, and Dana Perino. Fair game. Paradise. Good night and good luck, maybe. Wait, fair game, the Cindy Crawford one? Ugh, Kelly Wand. <laughs> She's not hot to Tom. She doesn't wear glasses and live in Alaska. Boo, Cindy Crawford. All right, Dingus, what do you got? Uh, I I was trying, you know, what you said, I don't know who you said you don't want to hear talk about their movie. Yeah, like Darren Aronofsky. So here's oh, the thing, Darren okay. Aronofsky, there's a little featurette uh, with the Fountain DVD where he talks about uh, running around in South America shooting footage to get ready for the movie. And there's also a, a little shot where it shows him working with Hugh Jackman, and he's clearly not an actor's director. And it, it's, a, it's a very important scene, and he's just fussing around with stuff. And uh, I, I just don't... I, he's I, not an actor's director? I don't. Not from this one little interaction with Hugh Jackman. It, it's when 
spoiler, but it's the well, I don't I won't say it's the, sort of the culmination of what's going on in the fountain. It's a very powerful moment, and I, there's just little clips of him on the set, and I'm like, you know, your your actor's about to do a very crucial thing, and I get that C clamp you know, over here. Yeah, it's that kind of thing, and I just that's not nipple tape. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, Dingus, that's what I was thinking of uh, that when I mentioned a, a director I don't necessarily want to hear talk about his movie. What was? Did you have something similar to that? Well, I, I was curious about, because I haven't heard him talk, about how Terrence Malick would talk about his films. Mm. Ah, that's got to be, that, that, I mean, that can't be anything other than awesome, right? Right. Right. And so I, I would really like to hear him talk about um, The New World and what happened with the cuts on that. Um, and, and even maybe the thin red line, but, but I, I just wonder what he'd be like hearing talk. I I can't imagine him being interested in doing that at all. Yeah. Uh, but if 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 it could happen in some universe, I just imagine that the man's mind would just be interesting if you could just get it to run. Yeah. Um, and then the other one's just a silly idea. Um, I really like this this podcast called uh, Doug Loves Movies with this guy named this comedian named Doug Benson, and um, and he is just nuts about Scott Pilgrim, which I didn't like at all, but a lot of other people really really liked and really thought it was the best movie ever. Uh, so, uh, a couple of the things I thought about in this was was giving a, a shot to movies I didn't like and having people do commentaries who did like it. So I've I've heard Edgar Wright, who directed it, talk about it sometimes, and he's he's a fairly charming fellow and smart and quick, um, very articulate. So so if I could get watching it again, watching that movie again, which I don't care to do ever again, because I just didn't care for it very much. But but watching it again with Doug Benson and Edgar Wright doing a commentary, if if I could if I could do that, that that might be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Dingus, how about if we got, and this would be just for you, Dingus, uh, Mel Gibson doing the last, uh, doing the, the doing his Jesus movie, but another Jesus movie. Maybe Mel Gibson doing Last Temptation of Christ. Dingus, would you, would you sit down and listen to that if we could arrange it? I wouldn't let him within 10 feet of that movie. (laughs) Come on. Okay, we'll keep it, we'll we'll put a a remote mic, a wireless mic on him and he can stand 11 feet away. Would you then listen (laughs) to it? Yes. Or Jesus doing a commentary track of Thunderdome. I would like to hear Jesus sit down with Mel Gibson to do Passion of the Christ and hear Jesus go, what were you thinking? <laughs> what do you mean? I know what he, I'll be there, too. Let me help him. I'll answer that. Uh, I would just love – I would love to you. you in a room with Jesus and Jesus just going, Kelly Wan, you are a national treasure. Oh. Uh, who oh. cares about the movie? Tom's right about you, Kelly Wan. Mm. Come on in. You know who else is a national treasure, Kelly Wan? Sarah Palin. That's right. <laughs> Nice. Alaska's not even a state. <laughs> okay, here's one that I just thought of. Uh, this this is a little insidey. Uh, Plus, she grew up in Kenya. She's not even an American. How dare you? How dare see, you? See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> do you see what you did? And it's not fair. Uh, if you you would know this. Actually, Taiwan, you would know this. I would like to hear for for Gladiator, that 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 awful Roman Empire silly movie. Uh-huh. I would like to hear a commentary track for that by my friend Troy Goodfellow who is a scholar about like, uh, all things Roman. Uh, especially like the bathhouses. I don't know. I don't know if that's what Troy's into. It's uh, <laughs> like my buddy who knows all about, who's like, like a Civil War buff is about the Civil War. Uh, he's a Roman Empire buff. I would like to sit and listen to him <laughs> do a commentary track for glass. I've never understood the phrase Civil War enthusiast. 
Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that war. That's good shit, that war. I love that war. I'm enthusiastic about this war that happened. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it did work out for me. It sounds out. like a weird phrase to me. Yes. That's obviously another word for that, Kelly Warren, is Yankee. Oh. Because they won, you see. But they don't do the, rec- the, rec- the recreations. The losers do it. Yeah, we're kind of still bummed about it. That's we're, weird. We're, we're still smart. One of the things I really like about the uh, existing commentary track of Gladiator is that it it became increasingly clear to me as you listen to it that Ridley Scott has no idea why his movies work at all. <laughs> That's <laughs> fine. There's clearly somebody else making the movie, and he's just like saying things that clearly have nothing to do with the movie, and that is not how that happened in the movie. <laughs> I just really like. He's just he just seems to be completely oblivious. I like that. Gladiator made it to. Uh, to print or whatever the technical terminology would be, with two glaring errors that have been shown to me before. And Dave, I think you've seen these as well, uh, where the, the the chariot tips over and you see the, the compressed gas canister inside. It's uh, to throw the steel rod to make it flip over. And to make sharks blow up. And to make sharks blow up. There's that, and there's also an amazing shot. I mean, this just this blows my mind. Of Russell Crowe, just he's sort of patting a, a horse's nose on the, the flank, whatever you call this. <laughs> yeah, nose, flank, same thing. <laughs> the flank of its nose. Um, I don't know much about horses, but he's patting the horse's nose flank, and in the background, you see a grip, a dude with like a tool belt and everything, <laughs> uh. jeans, backing out of the frame because it's like he didn't realize that they started shooting. And I like that stuff. I love that stuff. I love bloopers. I think they're awesome. Yeah. I just love that they left that in the best picture of the year, and that's the final <laughs> cut of the movie. Uh-huh. There's a Volkswagen in one scene. The movie had more grips in it than this. Is that true, Dennis? There's really a Volkswagen Gladiator? No, no. Oh, he he awesome. stabs you with a spear, and then it's poison, though, so he dies. Spoiler. That blew your mind, though, Tom? Well, then, like Dave said, the fact that that got left in there. You know, what's what's Sarah be... Palin blow of yours? Stop it. <laughs> That's the last one, I promise. Well, Kyle, what is our three by three for next week? Oh. Is it top three Sarah P- movies that Sarah Palin should be in? Mm, no, because we couldn't limit that to three. <laughs> it's like three Bad News Bears movies. Uh, no, so... Uh, I had one that I thought was really cool, and it was the one I bragged about, like, oh, you guys are going to like it. But it was kind of too similar to this topic. So instead, we're going to do something lame. Ready? Yes. Okay, I remember when uh, one of you said that what the chick said after the movie, Adjustment Bureau, like, wait, so the chairman was God? Okay, this 3 by 3 is three awesomest things an audience member in a movie you saw did or said. Hmm. Is that lame? You know what? We can do the other one. No. You can't give, really I've mind. given away all of these, though. Yeah, and I don't. I, I, I actually said all mine in the course of the podcast. Yeah. All right, fuck this. Let's do something else. <laughs> what was your What was your one that was too similar to commentary tracks? All right, let's do. The, can we do that one? Sure. No, you can change your mind. Until the music plays to play before. us out, you're not locked in. Okay. This is the one that I think is good compared to that. Okay. Like like anything is. Uh, three things you'd like to tell a director. If they were listening to this podcast. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to think on that. That's a good one. All right. 
A director of what? Dear Aronofsky, stop being so full of yourself on your commentary tracks, for example. Tom Swift. You don't, you don't have to explain it. I got it. I, I, now, has Sarah Palin ever directed a movie? No. She's only misdirected <laughs> her. And then, uh, wait. Did you read her book, Tom? You know or what? I, that would be a real test of. No, you know what? I, yeah. I, the page is sticky. I just like looking at her. I mean, when she's on ah! and whatnot. I, I don't want to read her book. Do you turn the sound down at least? No, I like listening to her. She's funny. She's entertaining, like a clown. She amuses me. <laughs> you know, I see what you did there. Did you see the one with Kate Gosselin, where Kate Gosselin was a total whiny bitch? And it actually made me go, you know, I think I would sleep with Sarah Palin over Kate Gosselin. Like, that's, that's where the. How low the bar would have to be. I actually do not know who Kate Goslin is. I Wait, know she's it, like from reality TV, but that's as opposed to Sarah Palin. Kelly, are you admitting to having watched that show? I saw that one because I heard it was awesome, and it was. At one point, wow. Kate she takes the Goslins camping, and then Kate Goslin's miserable because it's raining, and she goes, "Sorry, I'm so miserable, but somebody has to be." This reminds me of how you constantly complain about the idea of doing an Oscar show, and you're the first person to talk about how the Oscars turned out. Yeah, that's weird. That's unusual, though. Kelly Wan, you just got pwned. Yeah, (laughs) whatever. I don't care. I have no credibility to lose. Take that, Dingus. Uh, Dingus, do you know what uh, Dingus You Are Dark on the Rock is from? No. Okay. I think, is it from the Transformers preview? It's from the actual moon landing. That's right. And they use it in the Transformers preview. Dude, Apollo 8. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you are dark on the rock. That's when that's when we discover why the Apollo mission really went to the moon. Because the Transformer was on the moon. Right. It was like, you know, uh, Star Prime or whatever. That dude is buried up there. We wanted to go investigate. Why is that? How come? And then we'll that have was a to long see Transformers ago. Three when it comes oh, out, which we will see. Makes sense. Yeah, we will see it this summer. That will be one of the movies. Speaking of which, is there That's anything starting next week that we at all care about? The Twilight. I don't think so. I don't think so either. There's nothing. Let's just skip a week. Yeah. Why should we even record next week when there's not a movie that we want to see? Yeah. Oh well. See okay. you guys later. <laughs> so long, suckers. I, I really have to temper, and I have no reason for this because I don't. I don't even know who directed it. And certainly Aaron Eckhart is not, you know, I like the dude, but I don't want to go see a movie just because he's in it. And it, maybe it's just because it's like big budget sci-fi or whatever, but I need to do something between now and Friday to temper my expectations for Battle L.A. Is he in that? I would suggest renting Skyline. Yeah. Ah, watch good. it Watch it con- repeatedly until Friday. Well, or uh, Asylum, who we've talked about before, this company that does like rip-offs of contemporary movies, they're doing a movie called Battle of Los Angeles. Oh, because no colon. Exactly. Mm. So. so anyway, we will be doing that next week. So uh, see, uh, see Battle Los Angeles and then come join us for a discussion of that, as well as our 3 by 3 of Kelly Wan's uh, it, three things we would like to say to a director. Yeah. Maybe they're listening and will actually affect the future like the Adjustment Bureau. We did have a director listen to this this podcast once. We know at least once it's happened, and we were contacted afterwards by the director of this movie. So, Kelly Wanda, it could happen. You're right. Hmm. I predict it never happens again, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so we could address we him because maybe he listens again. Maybe what? Maybe that guy. We could, If one of ours is to him, 
Yeah, if you want to say something to the director of Don McKay, we know in the past he has listened. Maybe he'll listen again. And maybe directors will do a podcast about what they'd say to us. <laughs> that could be their <laughs> I think that would be summed up in four four letters. S-T-F-U. Huh. Wait. That's four? Wait. Oh. What? Sorry. What? Oh. Right. Okay. I thought it was G-T-F-O. Good point. BTO. I love that car. That's an awesome car. Uh, all right. Uh, I am <laughs> oh, yeah, great. <laughs> I've been joined by Christian Milkinsey. Uh It's Christian Morosky. We love you guys. And Kelly Rowland. Uh Martin Lawrence, Tom Cruise, and a young Mila Jovovich in Black Nights and Dazed and Confused. This podcast is also available as an audiobook on Quarter Inch. For more details, stop listening.